0: Drink it. Drink
1: it in Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of the Big Six Pod Season Two. Today I'm joined by Ethan as always. Alright guys, hope you're all good. Demil. Yo guys, what's up? And special guest, Fofty.
2: Hello, hello.
1: So today, I mean this is we're recording this the day after the transfer deadline day and the windows shut. So we'll be talking a lot about transfers and give a bit of an insight on Arsenal, considering Fofty is an Arsenal fan, so we'll get straight into it with Arsenal, because it's easiest to start with the club segment, and obviously Arsenal are very spoken about at the moment, so I'll pass over to you straight away, Fofty, what have you made of the season so far? I mean, not not too not amazing, I mean, imagine. Like yeah. it's,
2: it's, it's pretty hard to describe it without using certain explicatives, man, it is, it's shocking. It is gen- it's it is pretty bad, to be fair, because with with those three games, like I also went into the first game of the season expecting a win because it, it's it's a newly promoted team and although there was obviously a challenge going away and it's gonna be a mad atmosphere, first game back with fans and stuff. I just expected like not a convinced win but a win almost. But yeah. for the other two for the other two games I, I thought deep down, even before when the fixtures came out, I thought we, we there's a good chance we'll lose those two games. But as long as you put up a fight, I don't mind. The thing is, we didn't even put up a single fight. We didn't even look good in creating chances. We didn't even, like, our expected goals was shocking to be there. So, yeah, I just thought, I'm just thinking that like, there's nothing promising about the way we started. And it's not like the Wolves situation where, okay, they've not won games, but they look promising in the way they play. It's just, we don't have that. And I yeah. don't see how it's going to get better.
1: I completely understand that. Where do you stand with? I mean, obviously Arteta, the board, and all that. But do you think this is just a small awful start, uh, and do you think it'll get turned around once players are back fit, and obviously the window we've had, which we spoke about in a bit?
2: Um, it's it's a difficult one to be honest, because a part of me thinks that we do have like loads and loads of players out. If you really, if you look at it from that kind of side, but another part of me thinks this eleven compared to the eleven he first came is vastly different. So there's that as well.
1: Yeah, But I understand that for sure. Where do you stand with Arteta? I mean, I'll have to ask that later. <laughs> uh, first.
2: Um, I'm more out than in, to be honest. I'm, I'm I'm more out than in because I can I just don't see how how we're like building it up. I just like we're continuously trying to play out the back, and our players can't even do that. When we do, and we, we we're not even pressing properly. Like our players are just static around the pitch. It's really yeah.
1: frustrating to be honest. Oh. I hear that one. There's like a lack of movement, and yeah. you have players like Kalasnych starting as well. It's a bit. <laughs> it I mean, doesn't quite yeah. well uh, Pablo Murray when he's starting ahead of him. But, uh, yeah. Would you? I mean, from a non-Arsenal fan point of view, obviously we've spoken about Arsenal a lot, but where do you think we go from here, like Ethan?
0: Um, I think obviously you have got a lot of injuries and stuff at the moment, and when you get you know, all your players back fit and stuff. Your eleven is, you know, a lot better than the eleven you have been fielding. But like you touched on a minute ago, I feel like if there was some sort of signs that this season was going to go somewhere, you can allow it a little bit more. But all three league performances have just been pathetic, to be honest. And obviously going into Man City away, Man City away is a hard game, but it did sort of feel like you were inevitably going to lose like 3-4, you know, even 5 nil. And obviously the red card didn't help, but even without that, I think it could have been a similar scoreline. So it's obviously quite worrying, to be fair, because like you said, A lot of players come back, which is good. A couple of good new signings as well. But it doesn't really, you know, look like there's any signs of it getting much better. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get relegated. That goes without saying. But, I mean, I know the start of the season has made you turn your head a little bit, Matt, when last year you were pretty much firmly supporting Arteta. And that, you know, that does say a lot. Because I think you do hesitate to sort of turn on managers and stuff. Because it's not nice, to be fair, when you've got a manager in charge that you don't really want to be there. I mean, I've had it a couple of times with United. But... It's not looking great. I mean, I'd be very surprised if they sacked him now. I think, you know, he does deserve a few more weeks or months to, you know, let all the new signings gel in and stuff. But I mean, we'll talk about the window in a minute. But if that's what he's getting with 150 million, it's not exactly too promising. But yeah, I mean, it is concerning. But I mean, it's hard not to, you know, rush into conclusions when it's been that bad. But I feel like a couple more weeks are needed to sort of get a bigger picture of it. Do you know I mean?
1: Yeah, nah, for sure. And, with the whole art situation for me, I think I've often been on the fence. Like, I remember after Villarreal, I was pretty much turned. Um, but I've never, I'm not really public about it, like, not like I'm a celebrity where it makes a difference. But I'd not, like, I'd, personally, I just never see the point of just spreading like hate or whatever. It's just yeah, never really been something I I've done. I've just discreetly just been on the fence for a long while and just hope things turn around with the club. But just before we move on to transfers. When we first did, uh, or first week of the pod, VAR was absolutely brilliant, and refing decisions seemed really good. But I think there's been some really suspect ones this week, and, you know, I think it's worth talking about. I think particularly at the Xhaka one, uh, I saw today, Xhaka had a small, like, not interview, but got asked about it. And he said, you know, he was surprised by the decision. And I'll start with you, Demil. What did you make of, like, that red card? Do you think it was a very harsh red card?
3: um yes and no because I, I don't think i mean wasn't it like a uh a second yellow no, no straight
0: red it was a straight red oh well he went to get the yellow card out didn't he and then change his mind I, yeah I, I thought uh for straight red i thought
3: it was a bit harsh because considering he got the ball um he did obviously you know studs up and all that he was in the air um but I don't know I, I felt like it was hard considering he got uh, a lot of the ball first and then obviously the follow-through um, came into effect and um, for me um, that wasn't going to change the game in my opinion anyway uh, I thought City were always gonna dominate you um, and you'd always struggle but it did it did obviously change the game um, in terms of the way you have to sit back uh, throughout the whole Rest of the game. Um, but in terms of the actual incident itself, I thought it was a bit harsh at um, at, at first glance, cause, cause especially if it's a uh, just a straight red. If it was a second yellow, obviously it's under, understandable. Um, but for a straight red, um, I don't know, because he get, gets a lot of the ball at first. I know the follow
0: through is is a lot, but I don't know. Considering he gets a first. Do you guys think that players' reputation have an impact on these sort of decisions? Because, to be honest, I, I don't think I can bring myself to say it was a harsh red because you can't go off the ground like that two-footed. Yeah, he didn't get much contact on the player, but it's one of them. If his leg's planted, it could be serious. I think, you know, if, if it hadn't been given, I don't think I'd have been screaming for a red card, but it has been given. I don't think I can bring myself to say it was harsh, but that's off the point anyway. But do you reckon, because obviously Xhaka's got quite a reputation for these this sort of thing, do you think, you know, that plays a part in the referee's decision? What shouldn't do? No, um, why it shouldn't do? But do you think it does?
3: I don't know. I don't. I don't think in that instance it it really played a a massive decision. Um, like you say, like if I'm I'm not complaining because you know it it was a reckless challenge. Um, but at the end of the day, I I thought if if you didn't give the red card, um. I, to be honest, I feel I feel like he should be sent off anyway because I would have given him a yellow instead of a straight red, and he was already yeah. on the yellow, right?
1: Was he? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure he was on. It. Um, I don't think he was. Was he not? I don't think so. No. Let me just check. Let me just check. I'm fairly sure he just got straight redded. because oh, he was getting yeah. given a card as it is from that just from that tackle, and then it got changed to red. So yeah. Oh, it, it okay, that's honest. that's my bad. in in, in any case, then. I feel like um, if if
3: he wasn't given, did it go to VAR then? Because I'm sure I saw like no, no, not at all. Had a all. They
0: brief look at it, I think, <laughs> and, and pretty much decided straight away that he's yeah. sticking with it.
3: Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's it's a weird one because he gets the ball, but obviously follow throughs is in the modern game. Like if you if you come off the feet two footed,
0: then yeah, you can't really complain. Too much. what um, I mean with my previous point though is if a player like Angolo Kante went in with that tackle, do you reckon he gets sent off? I Don't think he even gets a card, if I'm completely honest. I think it's just one of them, isn't it? I think I feel like Xhaka's rep, and it was the same with sort of, I think David Luiz was quite a uh, victim of this as well, that you know, it's always going to be over-exaggerated when it's a player like him. And to be honest, I'm not saying he's not like you know, not dirty player, but he obviously does get carded a lot and he's had a lot yeah. of red cards and stuff. But I feel like that maybe does have an influence, potentially not on this decision, but just decisions in general towards him. Yeah,
2: I think I'd have to agree because I remember there was an instance, Matt, you year remember, the Wolves, the Wolves away game from last season, the w- oh, really? and he got sent off for a tiniest touch. And everyone was like, that's not, that's not warranting a red card at all he got sent off, and we were man down for the rest of the game. But you look at you look at similar matches week after week, players doing similar challenges and worse challenges. It's even not being given a penalty, you're not even being given a card or anything. It's just frustrating yeah. seeing the same thing happen to one player and not to the other players. It definitely has an effect.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and I think it. It's not even about Arsenal, right? Because the whole thing with Arsenal is <laughs> we know we're playing awful at the moment, and we don't need rest to be against us as well. And it's still worth bringing up when, you know, refs are just very, not unfair, well, yeah, unfair, (laughs) very biased against, like, we're already awful and playing bad. It just gives you a reason to feel frustrated, which I don't like, but it's not even on the topic of Arsenal or Xhaka. I just saw Xhaka mention quotes about it today, which brought it back to my mind. I think it's just the other challenges you see on such a regular basis, which just aren't giving us anything, like the two which really strike to mind. Is one was, was it Ashley Barnes, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Absurdly bad challenge. One of the most blatant red cards I've seen because that had equal force as like any other tackle did. Very high. And he didn't even, did he, he got a card, I think, but it wasn't even VAR checked. And then you have Ben Mee as well, who like treads on Bamford and completely takes him out. And that's the so yellow and not given as, like, even looked at as a red. And it's like, There's got to be some sort of bias or some sort of we want Burnley to stay in the league for longer type thing. Like, I just just don't see an answer.
0: People aren't bothered about players like, you know, Ben Mead and Ashley Barnes with all due respect. But when somebody like Xhaka goes in for a questionable tackle, what I mean is he's probably more likely to get punished than somebody like. (coughs) I don't know if yeah, that's just reaching definitely. out a bit. I'm not no, I, it's I, I hear your point. Arsenal, I hear. But I just think I'm not even just basing it on Arsenal players. I think you know, I think Polper would have more chance of being sent off if he put in a bad tackle than you know other players would it's, just it's, because it's of his the, reputation. It's, so the you wrong, yeah, it's, it's the ones who generate but
2: yes, it's the ones who generate clicks. To be honest, because yeah. I, I, I don't know, how much
0: to look yeah. into it, but I feel like it does have a bit of a you know effect yeah. on decisions potentially. It but just I, doesn't. Maybe I'm just waffling.
1: To me, though, it just doesn't, there's no like excusing it for any club for such bad decisions on such a consistent basis. You've got a VAR screen for a reason, a side monitor to go to. You've got a VAR panel looking at every single incident in the heat of the moment, and you're not getting anything from it. It's just crazy to me.
2: What, what really frustrates me is that when you watch, when you're watching like the 2018 World Cup, the World Cup just gone, in, the Euro's just gone, the Champions League, VAR's on so effectively there. It's so yeah. smooth. It's, it's, most of the time, it's correct. But when you come to the Premier League, it's just it's just different. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just shocking. Yeah. yeah, and
1: there's also, outside from the red card challenge. well, actually, no, one is a red card challenge, but there's two more very controversial incidents this weekend. One is, well, maybe even three, to be fair, but it wasn't really controversial, it just got completely ignored. One was Paul Pogba's tackle, Ruben Nevers, for the goal, for, for Greenwood's mm. goal. The other was uh, Rhys James's red card against Liverpool for his handle on the line. And then, if you count the other, like the, I can't remember who it was, United player just completely took out, uh, was it Trinkau? I don't yeah. know if you guys saw it. Yeah, it's yeah James, I don't know. Honestly, on I James. Was it James on Trinkau? Uh, I, th- I
0: think it was James, yeah. I'm yeah. just a bit baffled how that went. Slater so so easily. I think with that one before we talk about the Nevers one, I think the only reason that one was being bought up is because Wars fans were trying to reach at something to something else to complain about, really, because no one would have batted an eyelid at that. Like I didn't even know it happened until after the game. But yeah. you know, the ball had gone. I mean, if you can give that for a penalty, then I mean maybe the rules need to be bended a bit for me. For the Ruben Nevers and proper one, I think, you know. It was a 50-50, and I think whatever angle you look at it, it can go one way, and if you look at it for another angle, it can go another, and, you know, it's one of them that if it goes against you, you'll be fuming. If if it's not, you know, I don't think there's too much in it, but you could certainly argue it was a foul, to be mm-hmm.
3: fair. But I think I think there was definitely contact. Um, you can see his shin pad, um, uh, you know, displaced. But um, If the they're outside... trying to go
0: into the season, like, you know, stopping ruling out goals for small things, and I don't think you can rule that out personally. I, th- I
3: think the outcry on social media um from once again another well known pundit who has an agenda, um, especially um on Pogba, um, it's a bit too much. I mean calling that a leg breaker is just a, a ridiculous take considering that that so called person um speaking um back in the day who was actually doing leg breakers himself. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I think it was it was a challenge that if if we did get if we did get blown, we wouldn't be here complaining that it should have been um, that play should have been kept on, and if and play did get kept on, I don't think we should be complaining that it should have been brought back
1: for a foul. When I first saw it, I didn't think much of it, but the more I saw it after the game, the more I was thinking, how on earth isn't this given as like, a foul? I think the red card thing is just going a bit overboard. I don't like it's the type of thing you get a red card for, but you need far more force and more time stood on and all that stuff, right? But for me, like uh, I also understand what Ethan says as well, but angles. Because from one angle, you don't see anything, and from an angle, another angle is completely clear. But I think that is the VAR's job to, you know, see every angle and see the blatant contact. So from that one angle or a few angles, I guess. I think you know, I think what what oh, makes it um what yeah. makes Matt Dean don't don't
3: blow the whistle doesn't blow the whistle, is when Nevers looked at him and then went down. Um, he knew the ball um, had gone away from him, and then he decides to go down. If he goes
0: down yeah. straight away,
3: then perhaps Matt Dean... But yeah, he literally knows. went
0: to play on, and then as soon as he realised he wasn't going to get the loose ball, he went down. Yeah. So yes.
1: like... It's too honest from him, to be fair. I don't know if you guys saw his interview after the game, but he explained exactly like why he went down a bit later, which was for that exact reason. Yeah. He wanted to you know, get, if needed, he wanted to get the loose ball. And when he saw the ball was too far away, then he went down and it was hurt. So. but like you, you got to have it both ways, do you know what I mean um I no, but it just encourages diving though really at that point, I feel like but it's
0: we know that's an issue anyway, though like referees don't give decisions where players don't go down,
1: so Yeah, that's... it's just yeah. sad really though, like on one hand, you' like you don't want diving, and then on another hand, you encourage it by not giving decisions like that, but you so, know, hopefully
2: we won't it's a weird thing though, because diving is advantageous to the team. So it doesn't, it's, it's weird because like, if, if you go down in the penalty box, penalty,
0: easy. But, but that, that's if you, why refs need to pay more uh, attention to challenges where they don't go down. Yeah, like, that's we, that's we the, issue. Cause, on cause, here, like, yeah, the one that sticks out was the Salah on Louise a few years ago, Louise on Salah, where yeah. he just pulled his shirt, didn't have to go down, and he gave the pen, which is how it should be. But yeah. um, we haven't, I don't think I've seen that once since, and that, that does encourage diving as well. Yeah, it's
2: just when you you encourage players to stay up and you encourage players to fight, but when they're not being rewarded for it and not being given the right fouls or the right penalties, it's just a bit frustrating and it sort of encourages diving in that way.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. On to the final decision of the weekend, Reith James's. Well, I mean, I say final decision, the final big decision. On about the 45th minute mark, uh, Mane hits a shot which comes off Reith James' die onto his arm, onto his other arm. And it's deemed, I guess, a clear and obvious amble and like I understand I feel like this is the type of incident where the rules kinda need to be a bit more modernised. I think some people completely went that it was a very blatant red in a pen, which it is if you're looking at black and white, right? You look at black and white, he's handled it if the line and he's stopped a clear goal, right? So it's fair enough in that regard. But I think looking at it from a logical point of view, it's a fair penalty, right? Because he stopped a clear goal. Um but it's come off his thigh first. And if it comes off your thigh first, you don't have any control of where it's going. Your, You know, your body movement's entirely different. I know it may have looked like he swayed his arm to the side, but all, I mean, only Rhys James knows, really. But all, what did you guys make of that decision? Start with you, Ethan.
0: Um, oh, it's difficult, really, because I think looking at it first, I was thinking, you know, it looked very, very harsh. But again, if the rule says, I think the new rule is if your arm stops a goal in any way, you know, it's getting given, which again you have to argue with the rule, but not the referee. Like at the time, I was thinking that seems incredibly harsh, but you know, I sat down, watched it back, and yeah, if he's if if the rule is if your arm stops a goal, it has to be a penalty to the red card, and his arm did stop the goal. And like you said, whether he intended to move towards the ball or not, as only he'll know. But I mean, you can't amputate your arm, so like, and you also can't defend with your arm direct, like you know, strapped to your side, so. You know, maybe it's one that needs to be debated. But
1: yeah, I completely hear that. What do you think, Demil? Um, I think you hit um, the nail on the hammer. There,
3: uh, what's to the, say um, the nail on the head? Um, I think you summed it up well. Um, I think you have to take, you have to, you know, modernise the rules a bit more. Take um, context into it because, you know, having having the ball go off your fight it is hard to control where where it goes after that, um, and yeah, according to the rule books, it's, it is a red card. Unfortunately, but you know you can't really do much about it. Like you actually can't. If 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 Reece James didn't want to get red card, like what is there to do? Do you know what I mean? To to him stop himself getting a red card. There's not much. And mm. yeah, I I agree with Ethan. Like if. It, it, it it's a hard it's a it's a hard decision because the referee can't really do anything more. I think people, you know, I, I saw um, a petition to get um, Anthony Taylor banned, you know, but it's it's not really his his fault um, because it is within the rules of the game. You know, if 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 it hits the hand and it's a goal opportunity, then you, you're sent off. But I think and uh, I I think it should be modernised rules and yeah. Get that one changed because I don't see that one making too much sense. I don't know about
1: what you think or whatever you guys think. Yeah, I completely get what you mean. I think as well, that Anthony Taylor uh, petition or whatever is literally just because of how much he's screwed him over in previous games. So it's yeah. not just that one call, it's just like a bunch, a bunch of calls. What, what what do you think, 15?
2: Um, To be honest, when I watched the match, when I was watching the match and I watched it back, I thought. I thought the penalty decision's right, but the red card is a bit harsh, I think that's, that's what I first thought, because I think even if it was accidental, even if he didn't intend it, his hand stopped the goal, and I think it's going to be a penalty either way, but because it wasn't intentional, I don't think it should be a red card, but I think that's another case of, it's the rule book and it's not the referee's fault, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's weird. I mean,
1: you can't, it, it's one hand, right? Like, if the ref doesn't give that as a red card, then people can complain because it's, it's the rule book. But if mm. you don't, then it's like, oh, it's just too too black and white. And I think I remember last season with that offside decision stuff, it's just a lot more about stop it being so robotic. And I think it's the same case here. Yeah.
2: There needs but, to be more, needs a more clarity in the rules, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, be just, it. it's changing every season. And, I remember, I was talking, I think an incident happened at the start of last season, just after they changed it, and I was talking about how it has to be outside a natural silhouette, and then the commentator just said that that rule's gone, and it's just like, what's going on now? (laughs)
1: It's (laughs) it's all just pick and choose and see. Right, but anyways, we'll we'll move away from the football side, well not football side of things, the on the pitch side of things, and we'll get on to transfers, which as I say, the transfer deadline days just happened a whole lot. Gone on, so I'll start with other than Messi, the two biggest stories of the window. I mean, I will start with Kylian and Mbappe. He'll give a bit of context here, and if you guys have been living under a rock, Mbappe got offered what, like forty-five million a year to extend at PSG. Turned that down. Real Madrid have been trying to get him for the last few weeks. Like yesterday, they put in like a two hundred mil bid or something crazy like that, and they flat out just ignored it. So it just shows that PSG are just trying to keep their pride. And that they really just don't need the money and they're just here to try to compete long-term. So, I mean, what do you think? I'll start with you, Demil. Do you think, you know, Real are stupid for offering that money where they can get them for free next summer? Do you think PSG is stupid for rejecting it? Do you think both teams are, you know, in the right or the wrong? What what do you think?
3: Um, Well, first of all, I really thought he had to shave his head for a minute. Um, I don't don't remember if you remember the last pod where I said if (laughs) if you went, then... He'd have to shave his head, and he agreed. But oh my, um, <laughs> he's lucky. Get <laughs> out of jail,
1: called that. Yeah,
3: I do think. I do think PSG. Um, I don't know. Like I know they don't need the money and all of that, but for a player for two hundred million, right? For a player who who know they know that they're not gonna he's he's not gonna extend the contract. He'll be leaving on a free next year. To like it just. I, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense maybe in a footballing sense because so you know, you keep Mbappe to compete for Champions League. But even with even without Mbappe, you know, they you still have enough to um enough firepower. I mean that that squad is so complete now. Without Mbappe, I don't think that's how, at um Champions League title hopes would dent that much if he went to Madrid this summer. Um I do think um PSG missed a trick there. I know they want to uh, keep the pride and, and keep the best players, but for a player who's leaving next season for free, which, I mean, it, it just it just proves um, how much how stupid rich, um, their owners are. Um, and in Real Madrid's case, I think um, it's more desperation for them. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think they really wanted to pay 200 million at all, but they just wanted to, um, you know. I guess. You know, please the fans with uh, with that uh, signing of Mbappe, and you know, it it would be in their in their hopes of you know getting back the uh, La Liga and you know competing on the Champions League as well. It would be a massive um, step in the race for that as well. But two million, two hundred million for one player is ridiculous anyway. So I don't think they were intended to play that much, and for them, it's just you know waiting until. Next year, um, really.
1: Um, I think Mbappe someone did think make was... quite a good point as well, though. With uh, Mbappe, they said that PSG don't want to become, you know, they want to show that they will never become like a selling club. Uh, yeah, uh,
3: they they're not a selling club. We know that they're, they're buying clubs, but at the same time, you you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have to sell players eventually. Um, you know, Mbappe is not gonna go there. Not Mbappe is not gonna last his whole entire career at PSG. Um, we all know that. We all literally know he wants to leave. He's probably said this. Um, and so, to not um, take our 200 million for him, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's baffling to me.
2: What What do you think, Thofty? I feel like it's, it's either two things that's, that's happening with this thing. One is it's there's something that we don't know. like. Easy to sign, easy to agree to a new deal or something that, that the public just don't know because.
1: Just sounds like crazy money, really, to, you know, just turn down. But then in the same way, I guess they just don't really value, you know, any amount of money at all. They just don't really care. They just want to keep their player and give themselves the best chance of challenging.
2: Yeah. I think it's either, it's, either, it's either something that like we don't know or like, um. I think they one did because I think he's made it, the PSG owners made it very clear that his number one desire is to win the Champions League as a club, and I think yeah. that the way they're trying to do is to eliminate all possible chance that anything else can happen other than them winning the Champions League. And if they have Messi, Neymar, and then Bappe, I think that's just for one season at least they're going to win the Champions League.
1: I think it's interesting as well because Mbappe supposedly has a gentleman's or with PSG that he won't leave for free. So that, once again, just is interesting because that contract offer wasn't like a six-year deal. It was till like 2024, just so his uh, value was retained. So it's it's a weird one. It's interesting for sure. We all know he wants to go Real and fair play. I mean, it just shows that he's not so fussed about playing in this absolute dream team. He just wants to get Real, his dream club. Back to where they are, and it's crazy. The you know the power Rail have as a club to players. Ethan, you got anything else to add on this saga?
0: I just think PSG probably want to keep him just because they don't really have an adequate replacement as a proper number nine. That's another point, for sure. Like, I don't think they trusted Cardi to be that guy. So, you know, like um, you were saying a minute ago, their ultimate aim is to win the Champions League. And it's all good having Messi, Neymar, Di Maria. But, you know, without a goal scorer, like a typical goal scorer, so you've got Lionel Messi, he's one of the best goal scorers of all time. But, like, I feel like they wanted to keep Mbappe. He's like the final piece of it. And I think he actually would be more of a dent than you were saying earlier I think that's probably why they've just done everything they can to keep him but if they don't win the Champions League this year and they do lose him on a free, I mean having Messi and Neymar is great but they're not exactly at the start of their careers so they really are going all in this year so I mean it'd be interesting to see how it uh, pans out in the end.
1: Yeah for sure I mean we'll move on to the other massive transfer I mean Cristiano Ronaldo of course <laughs> I don't want to say no one saw it coming but no one saw it coming um, I saw obviously City at one stage were heavy in for him, and then all of a sudden United saw that and just completely went at the chance to get him. So, Ethan, what, what do you make of the whole transfer and how it went about?
0: Well obviously I'm delighted like he is you know my favourite player of all time and he is coming back to United and it's fantastic and you know when was it Thought Thursday evening into Friday morning that it really looked like he was going to City and I was thinking to myself like I really don't want to watch a sport where you know Ronaldo plays for our biggest rivals and I know it doesn't make the most sense signing him but I feel like it's a deal we just had to do you cannot let him go to City like and I know what the Glazers and all would like they're so bothered about marketing so it in that sense it didn't surprise me at all that we you know went fully in on him and I'm glad that you know we did manage to turn his head and obviously the fact he was going to go there is a bit disappointing but I feel like you know he has got his own career to look out for as well and if you know United weren't going in for him etc cetera, etc cetera, but doesn't matter now but I mean yeah absolutely delighted and I'm really open I can you know bag the tickets for his debut now <laughs> but, um, but yeah delighted absolutely delighted to have him back and what that means for you know us as a team we'll talk about in a minute but you know, a crazy sort of 48 hours and, you know, I'm delighted to have him back.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy how quickly transfers move as well. I mean, to Mill, I'm sure you're also very happy. Yeah, I'm ecstatic. Um,
3: I think in regards to the Man City, um, Man City move with Ronaldo, I, because for, for Beach, it was all over Twitter um, on Thursday night, Friday, Friday morning, that it was basically done or... Or he, it was very so it was so close to joining, but I saw a Fabrizio tweet or you or mentioned something about they never agreed personal terms they never agreed a fee there was just rumours, obviously strong rumours that Ronaldo was talking to Man City he probably was talking to Man City, but it it just it it made me think that maybe it was i I might be waffling here but maybe it might just be a tactic to get United. To, yeah. to come into play. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think Ronaldo was ever going to City. Um, this is just hindsight looking back. Obviously when I heard the rumours, I was dead certain that it would go and I would be devastated. But now looking back at it, the fact that they didn't bid for him, the fact that they never agreed personal terms, it just it, it didn't seem right for him to ever be close to joining. And Jorge Mendes is, is an exceptional agent. I'm sure he would have been um you know, talking with Ronaldo, saying um to get United to to come into play, this is what we have to do. And um, in terms of myself, I mean, yeah, Ronaldo is my all-time fa- favorite player as well. So I'm actually delighted with the signing. Um, shamelessly deleted all my tweets. Um, but
1: <laughs> um, yeah,
3: go from. Uh... <laughs> um, apart from that, I can't wait to to funny watch him yeah, again. For- for-
0: football's a romantic game isn't it like it plays with your heartstrings when those rumors did come out like you couldn't help yourself from like turning on him essentially because you know he growing up I mean I'm 20 now so when Ronaldo was at United I was sort of like you know eight nine years old proper getting into football for the first time and he's the player that sort of like defines me getting into football and to see him like even tempted to go to City it does like pull with you so you know football fans aren't robots; they have emotions so yeah. You know, no regrets, but um, glad it turned out how it did in the end. But you know, I, I don't know whether to believe the fact he was actually never going to go, but you know, it does completely make sense. And I, I've said. A lot of times on this pod, I don't want us to prioritize a striker, but I do feel like when that deal is there to be done, especially in the scenario, I feel like it's a deal you just have to do. And he yeah. will, you know, he is going to score, you know, 25, 30 goals at least, I think, in all competitions. And you add that to a squad for, yeah, he's, he's on high wages, but considering how poor our wage structure is, you know, you don't bring Ronaldo in, you have to make him your highest paid player, player. But, you know, with everything he does commercially as well, and, you know, a very small transfer fee, I feel like it's a deal that, you know, we had to do. And obviously, we'll talk about, the window in general for a lot of clubs in a bit and obviously there is that gaping hole still there that we spoke about for so long which I'm still concerned about but you know I'm not going to say we shouldn't have signed Ronaldo and put that 20 million in a defensive midfielder because when that deal comes up it's just one you have to do in my opinion.
1: Yeah I completely understand that as well I think Demille did raise quite an interesting point with Ronaldo and you know the whole city were they ever all in that in for him, and I think the whole, well, I think Mendes would have decided this summer that this is the summer I'm getting my client to move. I think he's decided that Juve are on the decline, um, or you know this just isn't the best or most marketable, most you know anything spot for my client, who's still incredibly marketable about the most marketable football in the world, and by pretty much a distance as well. So, I think he wanted him to get into England, where uh, commercial stuff is just so heavy. So I, I saw someone saying that Chelsea were offered him weeks ago, and then I saw as well that United were offered him weeks ago, and they said no to him, which is where, you know, it is a bit dodgy considering then United went from straight off to City, but I don't think United could bear him joining City, so it's it's not even. I think separated. I think
0: um, if that would have happened, like a serious power shift is would be obvious now, and I don't think United were ever going to let that happen. Really, now looking back at it, like you literally can't. I mean. If Ronaldo, who, you know, he's one of our best players of all time, is joining City whilst City have finished above us for not a while long, you add that onto it as well. Plus, you know, the Carlos Tevez thing, which sort of kicks it all off. I feel like United, as a brand, and we know how much, you know, the Glazers and stuff care about the brand over what goes on on the pitch anyway. And that's, you know, a lot of the reason why, myself included, you know, don't like the owners. But it's clear that that's what they prioritise. And sometimes it does come in handy with times like this. But yeah, I think, United just couldn't let that happen. And that's probably why yeah. they definitely you know done everything they can to get the deal done and you can tell you know he's always going to choose united over city and you can tell that by how quickly the deal actually materialized to be fair and i yeah, don't know when no, like the deal was done because you know you could tell that ollie knew with his presser that it was happening so it yeah. must have moved incredibly quickly because that was you know lunchtime presser about 1 p.m so obviously moved incredibly quickly so that did show his desire to come back which is obviously great to hear and hearing his first interview it just makes you really excited as a supporter
1: yeah, I completely hear that is an interesting one. It's <laughs> it, it's not surprising as I say. I think I tweeted like a few days before it happened or on the day it happened, saying like if he joins City, there's a power shift in Manchester, which is why he'll stay. Uh, he'll go with uh, United. There was just no chance. Like I just couldn't picture him going to City. It would just be too too weird, really. But from one Portuguese to another, Nuno Mendes, another big deadline day coup. He ended up going to PSG with a seven mil loan, I think, to with a thirty-five or forty mil option to buy. I mean, considering they wanted fifty mil about the whole window, that's not too bad. And being able to loan one of the best young players in the world like that is a bit crazy. And it's you know, PSG haven't had a good left back for the longest time, but they've just managed to address that instantly. And, you know, I've seen him rated super high and I've seen many say that he's definitely up to playing at that standard straight away so that's just testament to how highly he's rated and how good he probably is so that'll be an interesting and very exciting move to see PSG with unbelievable fullbacks you look at you know they used to have Munia, Oria, who's just terminated his contract with Spurs, Bernat, um a few others who just quite simply aren't good enough for the club but now they've got Hakimi who's the best attacking fullback overall in the world or Trent And you've got Nuno Mendes who would probably be one of the best fullbacks in the world. So
0: it's really exciting and interesting times for, for PSG. What i think it has make- so, so much more flexibility as well sorry um because you, you obviously can play quite easily in a sort of wing-back system but can you know go into a four as well And i think what i've seen is a lot of talk is that i think in the league they'll probably go for like a normal fallback because they're going to dominate games a bit more but you know in the champions league they can quite easily switch to three center arson and mm-hmm. alfakimi and mendez like pushing further forward with obviously Kimpenbe coming into defence as well, so the options they have are just ridiculous, and you know you have to make them favourites for everything this year, really.
1: Yeah, I completely get that. I mean, it is just a great signing, really, and it's just something they've addressed, like so. You know, (laughs) so out of nowhere. What do you make of it, Demil? I
2: thought
1: it was a
3: fantastic signing. Um, That really, really completes their team because that's the one spot where I look, and it's. And um, you, you think that's the only weakness that PSG have. Um, and yeah, it, it adds to my point um, when I say, um, if they lose, if they were to lose Mbappe, I know Mbappe's is a brilliant, brilliant player. They get me wrong, but PSG as a team now are so, so complete. Um, it, it wouldn't um, um, do them so much damage in the fact that um, they, they will keep clean sheets now as well. Um, you know, we, we, we saw that um, PSG can lead goals and they further they further strengthen their defence particularly with the signings of Donnarumma, Ramos, Sakimi, and they add Mendes, and that's you know, that's a whole back five, um, which full of supreme quality. So, PSG, without a doubt, have won the transfer market this season. Uh, one of the best transfer markets, I've ever seen. Um, I, I know Real Madrid's mark um, when they signed, did definitely I think 07 08, but I wasn't you know the
2: Kaká yeah, one. yeah
3: yeah I wasn't um you know too into football or so sort of invested in football at that time you know I was just get getting into into it so having haven't seen this actual transfer window live now and what a transfer window it has been I think PSG um in my opinion uh, for what I've seen is the best transfer ever from them transfer window so as I say
1: they basically bought a uh, bought a modern day super team really
0: yeah, it's like a, yeah. Window. Like they've literally trashed the every thing. single position they yeah. possibly needed with a literal, well, world class or you know future world class player in every single position. Like, and without you know their wage bill is going to be off the scale, but without spending too much either. Really, I mean, I, I assume Nuno you know, Mendes is an obligation to buy. Um, they've probably just done it to like um, avoid FFP, which you know is it even a thing. You know that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> other than that, obviously yeah. they paid a fee for Kimi, but everyone else free signings ridiculous window i mean fair play and their team is a joke so if they go out the Champions league early then serious questions have to be asked of Pochettino. you he'll be set he'll be set Yo, i don't think yeah. he has it in him to leave that but that's, that's the thing i do rate him as a manager but is he good enough to manage the best team in the world we'll have to see i think he's a decent manager but i've never i never really got united fans
1: calling for him so desperately like i thought he was an all right manager but i don't think he was that good ever but, anyways, i move on to another big transfer story. On deadline day, once again, in the dying hours, Antoine Griezmann, all of a sudden, just goes to Atletico Madrid from Barca. I think 40 mil with the obligation to buy? Or 50? I'm not too sure. I think it's
0: 40. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not I think it's an option, though, not an obligation.
2: Is
1: it an option? I, oh, I think it is, I, I yeah.
0: think it's an it's obligation. An option. Yeah, an
1: obligation, I think, then. But, either way... It's an interesting one. I mean, it's amazing for, you know, for a football fan just to see Griezmann back at Atletico because ever since he's joined Barso, we had such high hopes for him, but he's never really lived up to those expectations for whatever reason or another. And, you know, he just did so well onto Simeone, surprisingly, one of the few players who proper flourishes under Simeone. So it'd be interesting to see how he does there. And now you look at that Atletico Madrid attack, you've got Joao Felix, uh, Mateus Cunha, who's a brilliant player, could play across the front line for only 30 mil. You've got Luis Suarez. You've got players like Anel Correa, who may need to be used for the sake of just adding a bit of, a bit of, you know, just runners in behind, really, because they don't got, really have that. You have got Green, um,
2: Green. Rodrigo De Paul as well. You yeah, that's
1: that really like
2: Rodrigo De
1: Paul. I think that's definitely right up there with the signing of the summer. I think he was such a high-end demand player. He can fill a few roles. Obviously his work rate is amazing, his creative output is insane, his numbers in general are really good, had a great Copa America, has been in Serie A for a while, had a very good few seasons with Udinese, and he's finally got his well-earned move, and I mean, he just perfectly suits what you'd expect from a Simeone player as well, while adding that creative element, which would just be so, so big for Atletico.
0: I really like the signing for Atletico's um for uh, Griezmann this is, but I really like the sign from their point of view because they've got you know a who obviously is a very good player. He's proved it in the past for pretty much a low-risk deal. I'd imagine he's on still quite a bit of money that Atletico are paying, but, you know, he played his best football of his career there and I think it's a really good move for him as well. And arguably for Barcelona just to get him off the wage bill because, you know, he was on ridiculous money. I'd imagine, you know, they're probably still paying some of his wages, but no one near what they would have done. So, I mean, I think it's probably a good move for all parties, but it has left Barca quite light in attack, definitely.
1: Luke De Jong, I mean,
0: that's not so boy.
1: sure. No, I don't know. I'm a bit, I'm a bit lost. Really, I saw the meme of someone uh, memeed Andrew Ayu joining them, and it wouldn't even surprise me at this stage. But nice, no, it's, it's a confusing one for sure.
2: It's just a bit sort of worrying to see the the the, the trajectory that Barcelona are going right now because they've lost Messi, probably the biggest. Commercial pool that clubs ever had. To yeah, be honest, definitely. now they're in a sort of financial mess. You said arguably the some of the best, some of the better players are considering leaving as well. It's just, it. I mean, as an Arsenal fan, it's kind of satisfying. But <laughs> 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 I mean, you're but, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but um, yeah, it's, it's shocking to see the downfall and how sort of the the previous regime at Bartomeu Sort of like allowed us to slowly manifest and slowly fester into what it's becoming today.
1: Yeah, I completely get what you mean. I mean, like, they've just got such a few proper big names now. They've got a lot of top, top young players. They've got Frankie, who's still one of the best in his position. They've got Busquets, who's obviously reaching the end of his career. They've got PK likewise, suffered quite a few injuries. As I say, they've got some top youngsters Arojo, Fatty, Pedri, um, I think Oscar Mingueza, Sergio Dest. And you've got some other players like Jordi Alba who still gets crazy numbers no matter how much you rate him. Players like Tostee, you know, just aren't really great. I mean, they fell off quite a bit to be honest, but they still have quite a lot of decent players or some top quality players. They just they just lack like what a Barca team used to have, such big names. They have Memphis, which I really like the signing of, and you know, I understand getting rid of Griezmann because it's the same profile as Memphis. But you've got to replace him accordingly. You know, now they're just left in a real confusing situation, though.
0: I think that Atletico have got a real chance to win La Liga again, to be honest. Because it's quite yeah. clear Real Madrid aren't in the best state either. I mean, they've had a couple of decent signings, but nothing really to, you know, change the you know state of affairs. And I think, uh, like we just said, Atletico Madrid looking really good for this season.
1: I think Real will be, uh, Atletico will be in the driving seat. But talking of Real, I mean, Edu Camavinga, another guy who's been linked with a lot of big clubs like United, like PSG, and I think it was the day before deadline day it proper materialised, yeah. but yeah. out of nowhere he just joins PS. he joins Real Madrid. I think that's just a top, top quality signing, and I think it's another player who's versatile, which is what Real were trying to do. When you think about last season, last season they got really, really unlucky with injuries, they had like, they broke the record for the most injuries in a season, which is the last record record you really want to be breaking. So, I think it's important they add versatile players. Camavinga plays a six, as an eight. If you've even had to play him for the wing, his dribbling ability is really, really good. He's just a complete, complete footballer. And I think some people are underestimating how important that signing is for yeah. only, what, 30 million? Yeah. Such a good deal, I think. And
0: it's, I like it. That's exactly
1: what Real need. And I think he would have been a better fit for Rail than other clubs because he's not a lone six, he's not a lone, you know he's perfect to be given that that freedom, really.
0: I think I like it because a lot of clubs are going to be in for him next summer. Obviously, with him being on a free, so thirty million isn't a massive fee to play uh, to pay to make sure you like you know get him in this summer. Obviously, get an extra season out of him, and yeah, I like it. I like him. I think he's a fantastic player, and I think um, even though Real Madrid aren't what they were, I still think it's a good move for him.
1: I think just looking at Real Madrid, though, they could be a terrifying team if free transfers—not actual free transfers. That's not how things work, but. No fee transfers or no standout fee transfers work how they could. Obviously Mbappe, you've got Holland for a very reasonable price, which very likely could go to Real Madrid. He's got quite a few teams on the market, to be fair, Man City, PSG, Real Madrid. But what we've seen with players like Camavinga and players like Mbappe, it, you, would, you would think that Holland would favour a move to Real Madrid. But then again, you don't know. It's just Real Madrid have that. Obscene power of players—it's it's quite a crazy one—and then obviously you got Plum like Paul Pogba, who I don't really know if he'll renew or not. I'm—he'll sure stay; he's obviously staying this summer, but I don't know if he'll renew his contract or not. I don't see why he wouldn't. But then if Real Madrid come in for—if he doesn't—and Real Madrid come in for him, then that's another top signing potentially. They were linked with Alwar on deadline day, but that never was going to happen. And you have got Kunde as well. Um, you know, who maybe could go to them in the future, maybe next summer is that guy, because they do have a bit of a void to fill with centre-backs, they've got in David Alaba and they still have Militao and Nacho Fernandez, which are top quality centre-back options still, I mean, Alaba's playing as a left-back, which kind of highlights that they do need a centre-back more, but it's still just, you know, important that they do address that, but I do like, you know, where they're going, but Talking of Jules, couldn't they? I mean, Chelsea had been after him the whole summer, practically, and they never really managed to get their man. I think Sevilla, just because of how late in the window it was, they decided to play hardball and be like, you know, you pay our release clause or you don't get the player. Quite similar to how I'd left to go deal with uh, Thomas Party last summer. But Chelsea didn't, uh, you know, pay the money in the end. There's what, €70 million, Euros, I think? Which
0: was well, what yeah, reason,
1: I um Sevilla always like, they weren't never going to hold
3: negotiations. They were always going to um, ask for the release course to be paid. That's why I don't think the deal would ever happen, because if Chelsea did pay the release course um, at whatever time, I think, you know, he, you know, he'd be obliged to, to, to talk to Chelsea, and then I think he was willing to, to, to leave. But I don't think Sevilla were ever interested. I don't, that's why I don't think the deal got done, because Chelsea never wanted to pay um, that much for him. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't blame both parties. To be fair, um, I, I, think, um, Kunde would have been a great signing for Chelsea, um,
1: but I don't think it was a necessity right now.
3: In my, yeah, my opinion.
1: Fair enough. I mean, they did manage to land one player though, who they've been after for a long while, and that's Sao Negres. Pretty, pretty solid signing considering. I know he's not been as good as he's been in the past. He fell off. Obviously, he started off his career absolutely brilliantly. But regardless, whatever way you look at it, he's a versatile midfielder, he has numbers to Chelsea, which they needed desperately in the midfield department after loaning out the likes of Billy Gilmore. And, you know, it's just, I I don't think Chelsea could have got away with not signing a midfielder this summer, quite like a a Man United team, which we'll speak about shortly. But I think Chelsea, you know, got a midfielder, which is important. I think someone like a Tuchemeni profile would have been a bit more liked, or obviously his age and such, but... I think I did see somewhere that they still have a few questions over him at this stage. So, you know, maybe in the future they'll go after him. But I think it's just important they fill that midfield void. What do you think, 50?
2: Um, Yeah, I think to be, to, if you look at the, the Chelsea's men in midfield, they've just sold a lot of Bakayoko and Gilmore. So if you look at it, they've got Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante. I think that's their only options, is it?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, so I think Sao just adds much needed depth and depth and quality as well. Because he's, a I think, even he might have fallen off a bit considering the heights he was at before. But he's a very quality player nonetheless. So, yeah, it's a great signing. And I think Chelsea didn't really need to do that much for this window other than buy that much in midfielder compared to other, other, other seasons prior. So I think their window as a whole has gone pretty successful for what they needed, to be fair. What do so you I,
1: think, Ethan?
0: Yeah, I think it's a pretty low risk, you know, signing that, you know, will do them good because, like you said, he's very versatile and I don't think it will be a starter for them, but, you know, like for Charles's point of view, I think it's a very good signing. And if he is very good, you know, they've got the options to buy him next summer. So very nice deadline day signing. I think I, you know, I like it a lot.
1: I really like the flexibility of it as well. As you say, the buy option, it's not an obligation and it's not a crazy fee either. It's a five mil loan fee with a 14 million euro, so 35 million pound. Move which is not a lot at all for a player, you know, who has been top quality in the past, unfortunately not as good now as we say, but be interesting to see, you know, maybe it's just a move which he needs to revitalise his form. But on the topic of, you know, how you think Chelsea's window's gone, or what would you rate Chelsea's window out of 10? I'll start with you, Demil. Um, I think overall have always been pretty good.
3: Um, I know they didn't get Kunde, which was one of their main targets. Um, but other than that, I, I feel Chelsea are very, they're 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 a very well um, strength team. In any ways, um, you know, Aden Aden was probably the icing on top. To be honest, I know Saul was. Uh, I, I don't think it was a necessary uh, buy. I, I feel like it's a it adds much a, a much better depth to the midfield overall. But I think I feel like they could have gotten by with Georgino um, Cante and Kovacic. Um, maybe so. Maybe that's just me, because you could play Mount in the middle as well. Um, but overall, I, I'll say it's like a solid eight, eight or nine. I, I don't I don't really see um, Chelsea being too uh, anywhere weak in um, any positions really. Um, so yeah, eight or nine, maybe eight
1: point five. I I think they have a good transfer window than just them. What do you think, Ethan?
0: I agree. I think they maybe could have brought centre-back in to make it a 10 out of 10, but obviously last year's window, you know, a lot of those players took a while to settle in and probably will play a bit better this season, so that's going to help them as well. So, I think they addressed the areas they desperately needed to address. I think maybe they could have moved on a few more players. I mean, I think Ross Barkley is still there. I mean, lost cheek still there. I don't think he's going to play much this season. I mean, um, that uh, they got Malang Sarr as well. I'm not sure how much game time he's going to get, but you know, they've got a couple of players they probably could have loaned out, but, you know, pretty good on the whole.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, what do you make of it then? for like, out of
2: ratings. I think Yeah, it's the same. So it's 7-8, a, it's a, it's 9 out of 10 window because they've addressed what they need to do. They, they could have, like, um, even said before, they could have probably got a centre-back maybe. But if you, if you if you look at, like, if you, I think if you look at, like, the, the desperate areas of need, They've had them covered, and compared to last season, they did most of their business that they really needed to do with the season prior. So this season was literally just fixing up tight loose ends, basically. I think the build to done that pretty well.
1: Yeah, I agree with that I think um, you know it, the actual window itself is like a seven, but the signings have been brilliant, really. The not signing, sorry, the selling have been brilliant. Tamori Abraham. Even like Andrew in for like 20 million. So that's just really good business from them. So fair enough for that. But I'll move on to our respective clubs, United and Arsenal. I'll start with United. Well, obviously, they've got Varane, Sancho, and Ronaldo in, which is a dream window in terms of big names and a phenomenal window in general. But that DM position will continue to haunt and haunt. And, you know, a right back could have also been pretty useful. So what do you make for Ethan?
0: Um,. All the signings we've made have been ten out of ten for me. Like, well, maybe not ten out of ten, but fantastic signings. But like I said, like I said at the start, it's that like one area that we desperately needed to address that we haven't been able to. And I think it's quite clear that we're, you know, we're we're on Declan Rice next summer, which hopefully we can get done because like I rate him extremely highly. But I feel like we could have maybe got a stopgap sort of signing in just to give us a bit, few more numbers in that area because. We are very light, obviously, with McTominay being injured. I think we now see how crucial he actually is to us because Matic and Fred pivot, disastrous. I mean, Pogba and Fred pivot against Wolves was very, very poor. I think it's quite clear Pop was best playing further forward. It's quite clear Donny van der Beek isn't fancied in midfield and I'm not surprised because I just don't think that's his best position. So we are extremely light in that area and I think if anything is going to hold us back from challenging for the title, it will be that. And I, I mean... Sal wouldn't exactly have been what we'd have needed, but I don't see why we couldn't have done a similar deal Chelsea did just to have him in there as another option, or maybe even someone like Renato Sanchez who I saw was available on loan. I think somebody like that we could have bought in just to bolster up options in that area. But the signings we've made have been fantastic. But if you just said to me, and I'm sure you would have asked me before the window started, what um what signings you know I would have wanted, I'd have said a midfielder as number one priority. So it's disappointing that we've you know left that completely and two.
1: I find it worrying that you have, because it's not that you've been trying all summer to get midfielders, you've been linked with them. You've never really made any offers for any, and it's a bit confusing to me that you don't view it as such a priority. But, yeah. Um, Demil, what do you make of your window?
3: Um, I thought it was a good window. It's a, no, it's a, it's a very good win- window. Um, let me not lie, it's, without the um, defensive midfielder, I still think we've had one of the Best windows in general. Um, I feel like we've covered two two out of three main priorities, um, which is very good. We all crying for centre back, and we're all crying for, we all crying for uh, a right winger, um, and to get Sancho in and to get Varane in one of the best in each position, respectively. It's a fantastic um, transfer uh, transfer window for us to add Ronaldo On top of that, it's you know. It, as you say, it's a dream signing for, for fans. quirky um, okay, questions, whether we actually need them or not. But like even said pre- um, earlier, it's a deal that we, you know, we couldn't pass up on. Um, the obvious, the obvious um, red flag is the the hole in the middle, you know, the defensive midfield option, even just the centre midfield, as even said, you know, maybe a stuck gap. Um, without that, it's... You know people are asking can we challenge for the league and I think i feel I feel like we have to uh, after those three signings, we have to but whether we can win the league i, I still think midfield is very is a I think like people aren't actually comprehending the necessity of of us having it and, and what what makes us um tick is is having a good midfield once you mid once you win the midfield battle you have a good chance of winning games and Apart from Leeds, we've lost a mutual Battle in two of the last three games and that will, that will really um, hurt us going forward and in the deep end of the um, Premier League and the Champions League um, if we do get to that position anyway. Um, but in general, I can't complain with um, signing Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo's out of 10. I'll give it uh, an
1: 8.5. Fair enough. Uh, That sounds, I mean, obviously, the window's been really good for United, and it was a success in general. Obviously, the balance for Ronaldo, I have to see how that one works out, I'm not too sure. And, you know, as you say, there's no reason United shouldn't be even winning, to be fair, like the league. You know, they've got such a stacked squad now that there's no real excuse. And, you know, not sorting out the midfield position is really daft, in my opinion. Can can I just um, quickly add um, Gary Neville um, on
3: Twitter? Uh, he was in a and a and he was asked um, where can United finish this season and he said Varane, Sancho and Kane wins the league. He's now come out and said Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo can't win the league. It's a bit... To him- be horrible. honest... I, mean, I don't mind did. that though because he's probably just trying
0: to play it down and take the pressure off. He's yeah, probably why,
3: trying like, to... Like, um... I mean like he's... like, why do you, if So if he signed Kane he would be saying that we could win the league. We've got we added Ronaldo and you know, Ronaldo, he's, he's, he's
1: Ronaldo, like, Still I, I feel like, put the summer budget on Kane, say again, put the summer budget on Kane, yeah, yeah, well, we actually anyway, did sign
0: those three, for the price of Kane, so I think we went about it the right way, but yeah,
1: yeah, Um. but anyways, i will move on to the, not so, not, not so fortunate, because I actually quite like, Arsenal's window, like more than most, I think we've, you know, assessed a lot of big issues. The depth issue was massive. Getting in the young profiles is really important. The profiles in general have been really good. And I like the fact whatever manager's there will be in a far better state anyway, just because of the age and the versatility of a lot of these players. For example, Tomiyasu will be signed on deadline day. can fill in as a left centre-back, as a left-back, as a centre-back in general. You know, I think that's really nice. You've got some like the Kongu players, as a six or an eight. And you've got, you know, Tavares good players as uh, a right back if needed. So, you know, there's a lot of versatility in the squad and I'd probably rank our window like a 6.5 or 7 and sales are a bit underwhelming. I mean, not getting rid of Nketiah and Lacazette is just poor and Elneny could still go Kolasnac. I don't know how he's still at the club. It's good we got William gone, fair play to him as well for, you know, not taking a money away from us and... Taking a wage cut, same for Hector Bellerin for the wage cut part, who's gone out on loan. So good luck to him. But in general, I think we've had a better window than most say. And next season, all we need now is like three, four players or two, three players, you know, like just the proper expensive type players like your nine, your attacking player, whether that's a winger or a midfielder, and a midfielder in general. And that's the main things. And we shouldn't really have to touch defense for many years now if things go okay particularly if Saliba can be integrated back in because, you know, he's a top young talent and he's done really well in France and the midfield should also be in a stable position, particularly if we could get in someone like Bruno Guimaraes in January or at the end of the season. I think that would just completely complete the midfield and, you know, obviously the whole Midland-Niles sag is a bit bit of a weird one. So just media having a field day with Arsenal recently, very agenda-based, a bit, bit annoying to see, but or what have you made of it in
2: short, the Um, If you look at the signings itself, I think it's pretty decent to be fair because the only issues I really had with the signings was I would have probably liked another attacking midfielder and um, uh, Ben White maybe was a bit too pricey. But other than that, I thought it was a a decent window. But it's just the outgoings that I just have a massive issue with, to be honest, because it's it's really underwhelming because considering how Eddie and Lacazette are... On their last years, and we still haven't shipped them out or signed into a new deal for another year, which you wouldn't really want to do. But it—that's it, where you have to genuinely preserve the value. It's just a bit shocking. And I was looking at one of the stats from—I from, think someone put it on Twitter—that Edu's made more contract terminations than he has made actual player sales. <laughs> it's, just bit, it's just a bit—it's just—it's just a bit shocking to be honest. But I think—I think if you look at the age of our best squad that we can start in about five or six years' time, they'll be very, very good, for what I personally think. I think we are set for the future, but it's just whether we can have the right people coordinating it and whether we can get the sort of dead wood out and get the proper big-name signings like Mesut Ozil's, like Alexis Sanchez is basically, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and now, you know, we've spent a lot of money and there's just no excuse really not to finish at a very respectable position, like a top six position. We've been backed quite heavy. We've had a poor start to the season, Been international break, you know, is now. So, hopefully, form needs to turn around big time. After the break, we've got an easier run of games. So, there's no real excuses now. And, yeah, hopefully, you know, we see a big turnaround. And I expect we will, at the very least. And if not, then, you know, the manager probably won't last too much longer. But I'm optimistic things will go, you know, all right. Obviously, having our spine back will be super important. And, yeah, I'm fairly optimistic.
2: I do I do feel that the squad... Is a lot better than it's making out to be right now. Definitely, yeah. But, uh, like, it's a lot of people are out, and I feel like if we started playing Le Conga more, if we, Ben White came back and Ramsdale started, was integrated into the squad, as well as Gabriel and Erdogan and Smithfield playing alongside each other with Saka, I think that squad itself would be pure quality, and we're adding Parse into the mix as well. I think the squad would be really good, but it's just a question of where we can get the right personnel around it. And unfortunately, I don't think we do currently.
1: Yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, obviously, they're doing such a bit of an issue. But I think next summer is the summer to go all out for players like Calvert-Lewin. All out for players, as I say, someone like Bruno Gamerez Maybe someone like Pedro Neto, who I absolutely love. I've, if you've listened to even a minute of this pod, you'll probably know. But yeah, it's, it's exciting, confusing and bad times for the club. Obviously, present is bad future is a lot more exciting than previous and it's a lot stronger squad as you say than many make out so we should be in a far better stead but yeah i think that just about wraps up today's pod in the future we'll probably talk about other transfer activities there's been a whole lot and it's not so easy to cover in about an hour time frame but yeah um as always follow our big six pod on twitter if you want to interact with us and you know if you want to feature then just dm us and you can maybe sort things out, but yeah, thanks for you guys for always coming on, um, and check out afc Fofty on Twitter as well, his Twitter will be in the link of this pod, thanks for coming on mate, and
2: yeah, pretty Pleasure, much, mate. thank you,
1: pretty much, yeah, have a great rest of your day, and hope you enjoyed the window, and yeah, stay safe, take care.